everyone. Welcome back to Careers Unfiltered. My name is Danae, and I work in the Green Center for Career Education and Connections here at the University of Rochester. Due to COVID-19, the job market is looking a little different right now, and we wanted to switch gears and create a mini-series capturing insight and advice from all different industry sectors. Unfortunately, my student co-host Bryce will not be joining me for these short interviews, but in his place, I'm excited to welcome my fellow colleagues from the Green Center. We miss our campus community and sincerely hope you're all doing well. With that being said, we hope you enjoy this episode of Careers Unfiltered. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our industry mini-series. For today's episode, I'm joined with my standing co-host, Joe Testani, who is the executive director of the Green Center. Hi, Joe. Hey, Dina. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Of course, of course. I am so excited today because for today's episode, we are joined with two amazing guests who just so happen to be both graduates from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry, Dr. Jim Musser and Dr. Camille Lugers. Pleasure to be here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Of course. Joe and I are so appreciative that you're able to take a few moments of your day to speak with us. And knowing that you're in the medical field, we're very excited to get your perspective in regards to everything that's currently going on. But before we jump into it, do you mind sharing a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do? Sure. My name is Camille Lugers, and I'm a family physician. I went to medical school at the University of Rochester, And then I did residency also at the University of Rochester in the family medicine program, which at the time, and I think still, is affiliated with Highland Hospital. I really, really value my Rochester education and the medical medical school focus on uh, the biopsychosocial model, which at the time in the 80s wasn't a very common thing. It's become much more common to integrate the psychosocial and mental health kind of aspects of kind of whole person care. But at the time, Rochester was really on the cutting edge because of a psychiatry professor named George Engel. And I think I personally really benefited from that focus on on medical education. And it's carried with me through the the career that I've had, mostly in medical education and in work with underserved populations. So um, I'm very, very grateful to Rochester for the experience that I had. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Jim, would you mind sharing a little bit more about your experiences? Oh, sure. Uh, happy to do so. And I, so like Camille, I'm a graduate of the best uh, medical school in the United States of America, University of Rochester, and very proud to be a member of that community. So I earned the uh, MD and the PhD uh, while at Rochester. And after that, trained in laboratory medicine, which is a part of pathology, and then went on to that to move to uh, Houston, Texas, and currently uh, work at uh, Houston Methodist Hospital, which is a very large eight hospital system in and around metropolitan Houston. And I serve, I'm very honored to be able to serve as the chair of the Department of Pathology and Genomic Medicine. And right now uh, we are, as is everyone, across the world, extraordinarily focused on this uh, COVID-19 problem. In pathology, as I'm sure many of your listeners will know, we do the testing that permits one to understand whether a patient is infected with COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, 
And as a consequence, here in a city of 7 million people, we're extraordinarily busy day in and day out, focused on doing diagnostics and uh, treatment for our patients. I can only imagine what it's been for both of you right now, obviously, during uh, the situation. And I'm not quite sure how it is in Houston, but obviously in New York, you, that's been tracked very much in the public media about what's happening in New York City in particular and then the rest of New York State. But uh, Dr. Musser, maybe I'll start with you first, but when did COVID kind of come into your consciousness, I guess, in terms of it being an issue that then started to change how your work started maybe being focused in that space for you down in Houston? Right. Thanks, Joe. And please call me Jim. Um, no problem. Interesting question you just asked. So for about 30 years now, actually starting at the University of Rochester, I've been very focused on trying to understand emerging infectious diseases. Mm. And it uh, initially started, for example, with the so-called flesh-eating pathogen, uh, group A streptococcus, uh, while I was a student in Rochester. And so what has transpired here, here meaning the world, really represents something that I've been thinking about for well over 30 years now. And oh. this, of course, is the uh, potential disaster that finally came to us and is now a real disaster uh, of this pandemic caused by SARS-CoV-2 virus. So as Camille knows, I don't sleep well at night because I get concerned about every little emerging pathogen that hits the news. And around about Christmas time, a colleague of mine in Finland told me that they had their first SARS-CoV-2 infected patient there. And I was very certain that there was no way that this virus was going to not come to Houston, Texas, because we are a city of 7 million people. It's an extraordinarily global city. As yeah. you know, we're the energy capital of the world, very large, extensive um, international population here and so forth. So we were able to, here at Houston Methodist, be relatively prepared for this as much as one could be in having the testing capability and so forth, actually in, in January. And fortunately, the uh, pandemic did not hit us until very late February, early March. Mm -hmm. So that's by way of background, what has affected our lives for the last two plus months now. Yeah. Camille was obviously being in family practice, being in a little bit different area of, of medicine, healthcare. How did this, how did you start seeing this, I guess, impact some of the, the patients that you were working with? Well, I'm extraordinarily lucky to have sort of an infectious disease and testing expert in the house. So uh, I, was, I felt a little ahead of the curve. Sure. I have personally not seen a single case of, of COVID-19. You know, we, in my clinical setting, we screen people ahead of time, mm -hmm. but obviously we all know that there's clearly some degree of transmission before someone becomes symptomatic. And, and some people have pretty minimal symptoms. We have kind of modified PPE. We don't have the full PPE, but we have face masks and we wear gloves. And, sure. you know, we, we keep a distance as much as we can, but we still need to do physical exams. So, you know, we're, we're kind of up close and personal. But so far in my group of folks working, we haven't had a case, you know, nor has anyone gotten sick that, that we work That's with. That's great. That's wonderful so, to hear. So we, uh, we feel lucky in that way. But, you know, clearly the disease is out there, certainly not, not like it is in New York. So we really feel for you guys seeing how extensive it is. 
Thank and you. I'm not sure how it is in Rochester. I think we hear more about downstate. We do. And Rochester hasn't been, I think, our, because having the medical school here, I think we have some amazing physicians in the system here. And I think they've been very active and fairly aggressive in being advice that they've given to the institution and the city to be sure that we are protected. So I think it's been much lower than we originally were anticipating in terms of the models we were running. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's because the medical system was very active and very out front at the beginning to kind of encourage social distancing, um, right. give out masks and so on and so forth. So I think it's been better, but I think our, our uh, leadership in the medical school, as I'm sure down there as well, have been cautioning against easing off too much because mm-hmm. I think they're, they're fearful of, of a recurrence in it um, or another spike later um, this summer, potentially, or sooner. But Camille, I guess, how do you think this changes maybe some of your work moving forward? Uh, obviously, as we maybe come with some treatments and, um, and address some of these, these uh, issues that are related to COVID, uh, how do you, does this change things permanently for how you do your work or work with, um, with, with patients? Or what are, the, what are those long-term maybe impacts? You know, I, um, so I wear two hats in my career. I am a member of the faculty in a brand new medical school that will um, seat its first class on oh, wow. July 20th this summer. It's amazing. And, and so my, my one hat of medical education is trying to figure out how to deliver instruction for brand new medical students remotely yeah. um, if it comes to that. And, you know, getting the curriculum and the course uh, content able to be delivered remotely and trying to figure out what, you know, how students work together in a remote situation, because so much of our instruction is active learning. Only 25% of the uh, contact hours will be traditional lecture format. So we are really challenged to, to try to deliver an excellent medical education, you know, from somebody's Zoom. Yeah. So... We're working hard on that. I'm sure you are. Yeah. Um, I guess my other hat of being a clinician, you know, I don't see that masks and gloves and distancing are going away anytime soon. I think it remains to be seen how things will shake out, you know, once there is either an effective treatment or a vaccine. Um, If we can kind of go back to business as usual, I'm aware that lots of medical systems were not in the habit of doing virtual visits. It wasn't, um, you know, a standard operating procedure. And I think for lots of places, they've really had a crash course in how to do virtual visits. And I, I really think that's going to stay. People find them really convenient. It's so much less disruptive to someone's life. You know, we, we have so many patients who don't have sick time from work, who don't mm-hmm. You know, if they take an afternoon to come and see their family doctor, that's money out of their pocket. And I think when we're trying to deliver excellent care and try to keep people with chronic illnesses healthy and at work and functional, I think we're going to really need to stick with these virtual visits and to make, you know, find ways to make them the best care um, rather than just a substitute for an in-person visit. Oh, and I, so I think that's a challenge on us. Yeah. How, how do we make those visits meaningful and something that, that people want to do? And I think pe- people already want to do them. We just have to find a way to make those visits meaningful. And accessible, I think, to your point, right? I think how can that be accessible to all the populations that Absolutely. we have to serve you know, as people, well? People with not a lot of bandwidth, yeah. people who don't have extensive data plans, you know, that some folks do. You know, we're doing in my kind of safety net practice, we're doing things just on telephone because because people don't have, you know, 20 minutes of video chat time, you know, on their data plan. So 
we, we have to be flexible. And Jim, for you, obviously, you're, you're in the thick of, of research and thinking about sort of the treatments and for, for around COVID specifically, what do you think the future holds for either the near, the near future and the long-term future and how that might change how you've gone about some of the work you've done? Because obviously, like you said, you've been involved in this for 30 years, like anticipating, I think, something like this to, to come. Yeah, I think that as physicians and in my situation as a chair of a fairly large department, I think it behooves us to plan ahead as much as possible, to steal the line from Wayne Gretzky, to skate to where the puck will be. Yeah. And uh, right now, I am deeply concerned about what, and you alluded to it, Joe, what the fall will yield, uh, whether we will see, we meaning the world, collectively a second wave of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 disease, superimposed on potentially influenza. Mm. And uh, so right now we're trying to do a reasonable amount of planning and sort of think through in a war game scenario type of approach what that may look like for the department here, our hospital, and honestly for Houston at large. So I think it's important to really tell the folks who are listening to this podcast that I believe that we all need to always have a plan A, B, C, and D. And sometimes plan A does it, sometimes plan D does it. But you always have to have a variety of plans. And that's one of the things that I try to get across to the students here is, you know, it's pretty common that plan A and plan B don't work out. My plan A was to be a professional baseball pitcher. And that didn't work out. <laughs> and I, but the good news is I knew at about the age of 16 that that wasn't going to work out. There you go. So I think that one of the things that in reflecting on the seven years I had in Rochester, I think that one of the beauties of the university there is that it really, uh, at least in my experience, it was a university that sort of gave me the freedom to explore sort of whatever areas I wanted to explore. I don't know if that is still true today. The world has changed. Uh, universities have changed. But to me, at that time for the university, it really was that astounding freedom mm-hmm. to go try on new things, try on new clothes, How ask ourselves, how does this fit? intellectually does that work for me and how may that really permit me to help to do good uh, in the world right now we're all dealing with the vicissitudes of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and honestly and Camille alluded to this I don't necessarily see this really quieting down for several years unfortunately now I'm sort of a tend to be a glass half-empty kind of individual, but I think that, you know, as we've learned what this pandemic can do, I think, once again, it really, I think it needs to teach us that none of us know what a new normal is going to be, Yeah, unfortunately. So, I mean, I guess my comment overall is that, you know, coming out of a university that is famous for a variety of things. And Camille alluded to, in my opinion, what the most important part of the medical school legacy there is, the biopsychosocial model of disease. 
we are now living this on a day-in, day-out yeah. basis. This is not simply a biological problem that we're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. This is affecting everyone's lives, everyone's livelihood, and so forth. And I think having spent time and graduated from a university like the University of Rochester that was the birthplace of the biopsychosocial model, I feel extraordinarily fortunate to have had that ingrained in me literally from day one. Sure. From day one at Rochester. I think you'd be happy to know that a lot of that ethos and those values of exploration and, and learning, I think still very much run true at the medical school, but also throughout the undergraduate population as well. And the undergraduate college, I think there's this leaning always to thinking about, you know, how do we improve? How do we learn? How do we, and explore all the different uh, permutations and all the different aspects of a problem, not just sort of a siloed approach to a problem. So I think that really permeates through the entire university, which I think is exciting. And I think I'm glad that it was your experience and I'm glad it continues to be that experience here for students that attend the university. Yeah, well, that's really good to hear. It's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Jim and Camille, I did have a question. You guys have both mentioned a little bit about students. Um, and I would love if you could speak a bit more about for the students who are specifically thinking about going into the medical field right now, how does this whole situation play a part? And do you have any advice for them while they're trying to navigate this weird time? Sure. I mean, I guess what I would say is once again, to pilfer a line that's been used many, many times, uh, I think in, initially by Winston Churchill, find something you love. Find something you love and you will never work another day in your life. Mm -hmm. And to me, to be able to get out of bed on a daily basis and know that what I'm doing, I love to do, is an extraordinarily important honor to me. I mean, I truly feel this is an astounding gift. So my, I guess what I would say to, you know, students is try some things out, find something you love. And if you don't find something you love in your four or five or X number of years at the University of Rochester, be on the constant lookout for what that may be. You know, there's no prescription that says this is going to, oh yeah, what you love will appear before you on November 1st of your junior year and grab it and go for it. Life isn't like that. No. And uh, so find what you love, and, uh, but when you find it, go for it, like with every breath that you have. So come on. I'm a non-traditional, I was a non-traditional student. I had done some other things before I came to the University of Rochester. Primary reason that I arrived at the University of Rochester is that they welcomed a non-traditional student. And this is like 30 years ago when non-traditional students weren't a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, now, now it's a bit of a thing. Um, but at the time, I had people in my class who had been seminarians and almost ordained. We had an electrical engineer, I think. We had a homemaker who had raised three kids. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, and then and went to college. And wow. then went to college and yeah. then went to medical school. Yeah. So Rochester has kind of been a place that's just always been ahead of the curve, I think, in seeing things from a more holistic approach. And for me, it took me a while to figure out that medicine was even a possibility for me. And I think 
students' ability to, you know, if you're going down a path and it turns out to be not the right path, find a different path Mm -hmm. because life is way too short to, to do something that you don't have a passion for. You know, as Jim pointed out, do something you love. And if what you thought you loved when you were 20 isn't what you have turned out to love at 22 or 23 or 24, find something else to love. And if it's medicine, that's great. If it's something else, that's wonderful. But don't be afraid to, to retool or to retrain or to go down a different road because you just never know in life. If, if you know that medicine is what you want to do, I wouldn't personally be afraid of pursuing it. I think things will be different for sure in the short run. I have no idea about the long run. But we as a country, as a, you know, in the history of man, have been through lots and lots of tough times. Mm-hmm. This is our newest tough time. And we'll find different ways of doing things. And we might find that the different ways of doing things are actually better than what we were doing before. Well, thank you for the advice for the students. I think, I think it's going to be much appreciated. And, and I'd just like to thank you personally for all of the work that both of you are doing on those front lines of serving patients and doing research and thinking through how we can really come out better on the other end of this, uh, potentially, from and learn from what's happening right now to help more people in the future. But I, I really just appreciate not only the time this morning, but really just all the efforts and all the work that both of you are doing um, for your communities, but also for, for the country. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'd just like to uh, thank my life partner, Camille, <laughs> who, and I've, she's sick of me saying this, but I've got to say it. Any success that I've had in life has been because of that woman right there. And it's because of her ability to really permit me to do a whole variety of things that would have been impossible had I not met and been fortunate enough to marry that woman. I love her. I love her deeply. And I always will. And uh, you can edit this out later, but we met on the first day of medical school in the registrar's office when registration used to happen in person with standing in lines. I'm a, my last name is an L Jim's an M and we were, uh, adjacent in line. And I'm not going to say we started dating right away because we didn't, but we met the first day of medical school. And so when we think of Rochester, we think of it very, very fondly for so many reasons. I love that. (laughs) That's amazing. And I think we are a little short on time and I can't imagine a better note to end this conversation on. Thank you guys. Like Joe said, thank you so much for what you're doing out in the field right now. You're on the front lines. You're right in the thick of it. And thank you so much for just taking some of your time and speaking with us. It's been, it's been an honor. Yeah. Thanks a lot. It's been our pleasure. Stay healthy. Thank you for the stories. Appreciate it. Both of you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice, subscribe, and share us with your friends. Thank you so much, and see you next time on Careers Unfiltered.